Hello, fellow Muppet fans, and welcome to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch The Muppets Take Manhattan two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And this week we are excited to have a first-time guest here with us. First-time guest, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm uh, Christy Bauer. I am a musical theater writer and one of the co-hosts of the Muppeturgy podcast. Yes, thank you very much for being here. Uh, Anthony and I thank are you both for having me. Yeah, Anthony and I are both big fans of Muppeturgy, so we're happy to have you here. Absolutely. Uh, and everyone else uh, should also be listening to Muppeturgy if you enjoy listening to podcasts about Muppets, and I have a feeling you do. And if you're a big old nerd, <laughs> yes, that too. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I I feel like uh, you wouldn't have to be a Muppet geek to enjoy it, because you guys go into detail on so much musical theater stuff and pop culture stuff and everything. Yeah, you yeah can we've just gone be- down some wild rabbit holes. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was going to say, you can just be a fan of Sandy Duncan at Disneyland. And <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Or noted Joe Raposo, Stan, Frank Sinatra. There you go. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, Sandy Duncan and Frank Sinatra are not in this clip, but this clip is minutes 81 and 82 of The Muppets Take Manhattan, in which uh, Miss Piggy manages to refresh Kermit's memory just in time for the show to start. Um, as this clip begins, all the Muppets are backstage at Manhattan Melodies. They're, they've been trying to get Kermit's memory to come back. He still thinks he's Philip Phil. He's just about to try to leave, uh, but Fozzie kind of yanks him back. And then Ralph and Scooter lament that nothing is working. It's no use. Fozzie grabs Kermit and kind of shakes him violently, which is always uh, <laughs> always fun to see. He says, Kermit, please, we need you. Come back to us. Still doesn't work. Kermit well, does say... Well, I was going to say, you kind of glossed over this, but right at the very beginning, Ryan says... Ryan, good. Ryan. I just I'm called right. Rolf Ryan. Let the record show. Oh, um, hey, I'm, that's right. great. I'll right, take it. Compliment. Right at the very beginning, Rolf says, we've been at this for hours, or we've been trying for hours. Oh, yeah, yeah. He does and, say that. Yeah, and I love the idea that, like, the whole, so, like, presumably the whole train ride from Pete's to the theater, right, and then some. They've just been, like, trying every single bit they can think of, you know? <laughs> And and I love to imagine. Right. I'd love to see that movie. Right, um, exactly. Just the, <laughs> just a couple like, of hours between the. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, it's just, like, it's, it's just like Gonzo being like, "Remember the Flying Zucchini Brothers?" You know, like. Yeah, yeah. Well, we saw, <laughs> we did see in the movie last week that Fozzie tried to tell the koala joke, which didn't work, and then. Um, I mentioned in the March 7th, 1983 draft of the screenplay, there was a little bit more where like Gonzo tried to do a stunt to jog Kermit's memory and Statler and Waldorf came in to insult Kermit to try to bring something back and that didn't work. So yeah, you could go on and on with that. You could have, I don't know, like the Swedish chef throwing food at him or something. Yeah. Uh, although I guess in the reality of this movie, it has to be characters that he already knows. So he probably doesn't know the Swedish chef yet, but... I don't know. The rats would be doing something. <laughs> right. So yeah. really, what, what I'm saying is they should have done it. This movie should be five hours long. Yes, exactly. At least. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Kermit does say, maybe you do know me, but I really don't know you. I wish I did. Which is the first time really since he woke up in the hospital, I guess, that he's 
sort of acknowledge that this might be it. This might be his former life that he just doesn't remember. So it's interesting. I guess they're, they're, they're introducing the idea that there is still actually hope for him here. Right. Although also after he says, I, re- I wish I did, Kermit does that little gulp motion that he does sometimes where it looks like he's swallowing. Yeah. I, I rewound this several times just to like watch it. And I don't think his throat actually moves. Like, it's like, it's, it's actually like a forehead movement, right? Like, I think Jim Henson is just like cupping his fingers a little bit, but it totally looks like about that. Yeah, go ahead. He does that several times in this clip. Yeah. And I, I just got to thinking about the mechanics of it. I was like, Kermit doesn't have a throat. How does that work? <laughs> right? I, I don't know why, but it totally registers visually as that he's swallowing. And he, yeah. he, he isn't because he doesn't, like you say, he doesn't have a throat. Because he does, oh yeah, I see what you mean. It's just a, a, a sort of a nod of the head almost, but yeah. not a nod. Um, yeah, because he, he can do a move where I guess Jim Henson uses his thumb to make him gulp, but that's not what's actually happening here. Yeah. It's just yet another uh, very subtle puppet move. So that's cool. This whole mm-hmm. clip is such a testament to the genius of Jim Henson because Amnesia Kermit sounds like a totally different person. Yeah. Yeah, and then like Philip Phil Kermit sounds a little bit different than just the regular Amnesia Kermit who just doesn't know who yeah. he is, which kind of comes out here a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's really good. <laughs> Jim <Henson>. Spoilers. <laughs> Jim Henson good at his job. Yeah, and that as we have mentioned that also comes after he's played a couple other variations on himself or other characters too earlier in this movie the 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 bafosako guy and the the guy in sardis so yeah yeah yes he's very talented jim henson and kermit both uh ronnie says uh that everyone better take their places um i noticed ronnie's wearing a very nice tuxedo um I, he he probably went out and bought this just for the occasion, right? Yeah, I mean the the wild thing to me. I mean there there are a lot of wild things about this <laughs> clip to me, but the the wild thing to me is that so if if this were a real Broadway show, this would be the first night of previews. It would definitely not oh, be yeah. opening night. Like that's that's never the. I mean nothing about this is how any of this works. Like, right. As you guys have covered. Yeah, you know if if we have brought that up before, it's been a while. So yes, that's a great point. Yeah, so like if this were a real Broadway show, this would be the first night of previews, and like they'd have two or three weeks to work out their issues. And <laughs> right. with Kermit as the writer, they would probably have an alternate for young kid who comes to get to, comes to the city to get well, married or whatever the character's name is. Well, and I a actually, couple shows a week. I actually have a theory about that based on this clip. Okay, hmm. so I, I I do too actually. Um, I wonder if it's the same one. Which is mine is that okay. is that because when they're um when they're trying talking about how they've been Rolf says they've been at it for hours. Scooter says there's nothing left to do. We have to go on without him. So my theory is that Scooter's S- the alternate. That Scooter is Kermit's understudy. Uh. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have the same exact theory. Awesome. I mean, and that's partially just because, you know, we're uh, we're two thirds of the way through season one of the Muppet show and Muppet right now. We've talked several times about the all about Eve quality of Scooter. Yeah. So oh, yeah. it sort of feels like Scooter's like We'll be fine. I've got it. Yeah, you right, know. Right. So, me, me and my six-string orchestra can can take the lead. Yeah, It'll be fine. Yeah. So, like, if this were a <laughs> I love, show, I love that we both like, thought of that. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I totally, I blame the Muppet Show for that completely. <laughs> but if this were a real show, like, like for example, it uh, when Hamilton was in previews of the public, Lin Manuel Miranda uh, would sit out the show two or three shows a week, and his alternate would go on so that he could take notes. So mm. you know. That's how, you know, Kermit's, you know, the show is not ready. You know, in, in, in a real process, he would get the chance to, like, not only be in the show, but also, like, sit and watch the show and make adjustments. But, like, of course, this would have been, like, after six to eight weeks of rehearsals at Ripley Greer or 440 Studios. <laughs> right, right. Those, like, standard Broadway rehearsal spaces. Sure. You know, like, I mean, never mind the, like, collapsing of the timeline of development, which takes years. Like, you know, I mean, I, I think the my most recent show... I'm on year seven right now. So, of just developing you know, it. Of just developing it. Yeah. yeah we're, you know, so it's uh, the, that like two week <laughs> ticking clock is just cuckoo bananas. Yes. Like, just utterly right. bonkers. <laughs> yeah. You, you got to have uh, tension for the story, but right. It doesn't hold up to scrutiny uh, logically. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I like that. That Scooter is like, all right, I, so I guess we all agree. Like, we're just going to go on. Uh, I'm going to play Kermit's part. <laughs> yeah. So and did you have any notes about Ronnie's tuxedo or did that just kind of lead you down that particular rabbit hole? It just led me down that uh, everyone okay. is dressed up for open, opening yeah, night. As if it's opening night, night rather night. than previews. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, um, so also Jenny is wearing this, uh, this white dress. Uh, we have noted that she likes to wear these animal pins on her waiter's uniform. And she's now wearing this thing that I can't really identify. It's, I guess it's a corsage, but it kind of looks like a Christmas tree or maybe <laughs> like some, like maybe it's homecoming and somebody gave her a mum for homecoming, Yeah, but it's it, the sort, it sort of, of vaguely like Ronnie and Jenny stopped by on the way to the prom. Right. Yeah, exactly. Very much. It's sort of a fuzzy thing that's kind of draped over her shoulder on her dress. So, not sure what that is, but, um, you know. Also, sp- speaking of Jenny, I want to give her major props for these costumes. These costumes are great. Yeah. Yeah, I love the sparkly jackets that all the Muppets are wearing. Yeah, she did a great job with that. Um, my wife and frequent podcast guest, Stacy also noted that uh, Jenny has hipster bangs. So she's very much ahead of her time in that way. Yep. So. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, so, out in the house, in the theater, the band starts playing the overture. So, like, this is it now. This is serious. Um, we've now increased the tension even more. Because whatever happens, they have to put on some kind of show. Whether the Muppets Man, are ready and, for and it or like not. A, and it's a great, like, traditional, like, overture to Gypsy overture. Like, yeah. you know, huge, huge orchestra. Yeah. I, I love... You guys have talked several times about the... Uh, one-way uh, Jerry Herman Sondheim beef in 1984. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> and I, I've been thinking about that a lot in the context of this, because it, it does seem like Manhattan Melodies is very much a show from, like, the 50s. Right. Yeah. Um, but but also, there were a couple of other factors to, that give additional context to, to that particular beef, the year before at the Tonys, the show that swept a lot of the categories was Cats. Oh, and sure, yeah. If if there's any show that is more divisive than Cats, I can't think of it. Sure. But, and like Cats won Best Musical, it won Best Score, but it also won Best Book. Now, Cats doesn't have a lick of dialogue in it. 
Right, yeah. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And it and it beat three shows that did, including huh. A Doll's Life, which had a book by uh, Comden and Green, and oh, wow. My One and Only, which uh, one of the writers was Peter Stone, the book writer of 1776. So, like, people were feeling really unstable about the like future of the form and like what was happening on Broadway at this so, time. So yeah, the, I, I the, feel like cats would definitely do that. So who won the award for the book? T.S. Eliot. Um, and uh, Trevor Nunn did. I mean, I'm sure there are probably like vague stage directions that say, you know, and right, then they yeah. go to the heavy side layer or, or uh, you know, <laughs> right, right. Or whatever. But like, there, there's no dialogue. It, it's one of the most baffling award wins. Yeah, really. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's bananas. <laughs> so, yeah. I think. I mean, for as much as like, yeah, the, there definitely is major shade being thrown at Sondheim in that particular Jerry Herman speech. <laughs> uh, I think there's also a lot of shade being thrown at Cats. So. Yeah, I got that. Yeah, that, wow. that makes sense. That's, that's good to know. Thank you. I, we, yeah, we mentioned that pretty early on in the the podcast season. It was one of the the earlier scenes of Manhattan Melodies at the college. I think Anthony, when you brought that up, yeah. So yeah, cats, man. I, I think that's one of those cultural objects where like it's gotten by largely on the fact that people assume it's good because it won awards. Well, I think <laughs> I think we've talked about this before. That like I've I've seen the the PBS the great performances of Cats I haven't seen the movie yet yeah I'm sure I will someday but when I think about Cats I think about Jason Alexander and Gonzo on Muppets Tonight <laughs> doing bats <laughs> every yeah, time good. Like, like good if you tell if you if you tell me the song um, memory like I will think of night time for a bat that's the right right like every time <laughs> that's what I'll think of you know I love so, that you like, that you remember so much of it I, I i had that one on tape as a kid so i bet i've seen it you know 30 times or something do you remember gonzo and jason alexander's high school cheer um which is like um, ridiculously long it's I, the name of their high school is the polytechnic institute for the for the performing arts as seen in the motion picture fame i believe right Right. that's the part i remember it as seen in the yeah. motion picture fame yeah yeah uh yeah everyone go seek out the jason alexander episode of muppets tonight it's great it's great it's it is great it's better than cats um so meanwhile where are we let's see so jenny asks piggy what they should do um so piggy now kind of takes control she says to kermit look at me you are kermit the frog that's Gonzo, that's Fozzie, that's Ralph and Scooter, and they are your friends. You wrote the show for them. That's Ronnie and Jenny. They're your friends, too. Well, I'd love that he, that she makes a point to say you wrote the show for them. Oh, yeah, that's very nice. That it's not just like, you know, I, I get like we've talked about how this piggy is like such a softer piggy than what we yes. got, certainly on the Muppet Show, right? Yeah. That like M- M- Muppet Show piggy would just be like, those clowns, you wrote a show for them? <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? And, you, and yeah, honest. like you were supposed to write a show for me. Right, right. Forget about that jazz. Listen, turkey. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and and um, so it's really nice that she's like, these are your friends. Like the show that we're all talking about is a thing you wrote for them to do. You're, yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's really nice. Yeah, they're they're all in it together. Yeah. I also love that Frank Oz, as the, the director, gave Piggy the, you know... <laughs> rousing motivational <laughs> speech 
Yeah. It's just great. Yeah, as, yeah cool. not only as the director, but also as the, the, the writer of the final draft of the screenplay. Yeah. 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 You, you can oh. do that kind of thing. <laughs> right. Although Jim Henson as the director in Grim Muppet Keeper also gave Frank Oz as Fozzie the, the rousing speech, you know? That's true. So. Yeah. He's just, he's just the guy to do it, I guess. I don't Jim, know. Yeah, Jim and Frank both have a lot of confidence in Frank, I guess. Right. I think that's definitely true. I think that's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, as well they should. Uh, no, I was going to say, uh, it's interesting to me that she says Ronnie and Jenny are your friends. I, I would definitely expect Kermit to remember Jenny when he gets his memory back. But he met Ronnie like for five minutes, literally moments before he got hit by that car. So, I mean, I don't actually know a lot about how memory works or how amnesia works, but I would not be shocked if he, like, if if all of his memories of Ronnie had just gotten erased. But I guess it it would be weird to mention everybody else, including Jenny, and then not mention Ronnie. Ronnie, the guy who's putting up the money for the show, or his dad. Yeah, she could say that. That guy over there, he's Ronnie. He's he's giving you a lot of money. (laughs) Right. Um, so then she says, and I'm Piggy. Now listen carefully. You are Kermit the Frog and you love me. You want to marry me. You want to have children with me. And this is where Philip Phil is just like, this is the most ridiculous thing he's ever heard with you in love with a pig. (laughs) Wait till I tell the guys in marketing, Which, which Ryan, I noticed you said in love with a pig, which is what Kermit would say. But Philip Phil does not say that. He says in love. Oh, you're right. In love with a pig. Which in love with a pig? In love with a pig, which is my yes. absolute favorite Philip Phil line delivery in this entire movie. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, this so whole good. thing is so funny. Um, and I think we maybe have maybe brought this up uh, in a past episode, but the guys in marketing is interesting because we only ever see three other employees of Mad Av Advertising. I guess maybe th- there's another office or another uh, part of the office where the the marketing guys are working. Wait, you don't think they are the marketing guys? They're coming up with with slogans. I mean, they seem to be copywriters. Yeah, I guess so. Hmm. Unless yeah, there's something about the line delivery that implies that it's a different department. Yeah, maybe, or maybe they all do everything. Maybe that's that's uh, they're all just overworked all the time. Uh, so then he says, maybe you expect me to go hog wild? Perhaps you could bring home the bacon. These are the kind of jokes they did a lot on The Muppet Show, especially in the early days of The Muppet Show, and then maybe not as much afterward. Um, well, well, like, it's very easy to imagine, like, early Muppet Show, Miss Piggy, saying, like, Kermit's in love with me, he wants to have children with me, and actual Kermit being like, oh, I'll bring home the bacon. Yes, <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Like Where he was yeah. much meaner, especially to Piggy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 do a lot of that kind of thing. Um, like they're in the pig calypso number. I don't remember what season it's from, but uh, Kermit sings the line about bib and napkin, knife and fork is the only way that I'll touch pork, which is especially rude. Um, and that's the real Kermit. But yeah, this this way they can. That's a good point. By by making this Philip Phil, he can just cut loose, and we don't have to uh, feel bad about laughing at it. Um, on the read-along book and record set for this movie that I had as a kid, there was also another line that's not here for some reason, where he asked if they were going to get married in Central Pork, which I think is a pretty good joke. They should have left it in here. Yeah. Uh, then he says, ah, the sounds of love. Sui, oink, oink. 
<laughs> so so my my dad grew up on a hog farm. Oh, excellent. In real, in real life. But yeah. I only know Sui from this movie and Charlotte's Web. Right. And so like I think my dad would be disappointed in, in me for that. <laughs> but like it just it feels fictional to me. Like I guess I could well, ask him if that's a thing they they actually said. Oh, yes, please do. And and if you do and if you can get some you know, something from him on the record, we can add it like to yeah, the I should have I should I wish now but, I wish I had thought to do that. I just thought of it. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. As a suburban kid, I I actually had that question too. It it occurred to me, I was like, this is the only place that I've ever heard this like at least said aloud. I've 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 like seen like passing references to it. So Yeah. Right. Well I also associate it with Charlotte's Web for sure. Um, but it is interesting that we do like we all apparently absorbed it in one way or another. Like we just accept that this is what pig farmers say when <laughs> right. they're calling yeah. pigs to eat. They say "suey." Um, <laughs> I spent a few minutes of internet searching to see if I could figure out why that's the word. Um, there was a surprising number of dead links, which makes me wonder if there's some shadowy uh, conspiracy trying to prevent us from knowing why they say "suey," but. I found a Reddit thread <laughs> where people were speculating that it evolved from the word suet, which is the hard fat about the kidneys and loins in beef and mutton that yields tallow, which I guess is the kind of thing that you might uh, just like throw in a, a bucket and feed to a pig. Um, so that works for me. I don't know if that's actually where it comes from. Uh, I also discovered that the University of Arkansas has a mascot called the Razorbacks, and their official team cheer is Woo Pig Suey. So if you ever go to a University of Arkansas game, then you know you know what to do. But Razorbacks was also the mascot of Sunnydale High on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's so. true. And I don't know if they had an official, like, did, did we ever hear an official school cheer on Buffy? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. But- it is weird now, we, that, we saw, now that I'm thinking about it that it's like a Southern California high school. <laughs> it's the Razorbacks. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. Are there Razorbacks in Southern California? I have no idea. I just got here six days ago, so cannot <laughs> you'll, confirm. You'll, yeah, you'll could have you, to let could us you know uh, ask around? Yeah. Yeah, see, I'll keep you posted. See what you could find out. Now I'm like searching my memory to think about other mascots that I'm aware of and do they exist in the places where the schools are or the teams are but i don't know right well well i mean there are two two famous nba examples of where the team moved and the name no longer made any sense which is that the new orleans jazz moved to utah and remain after 40 years the utah jazz i love that yeah that's (laughs) hilarious right right. and (laughs) and our own minneapolis lakers of course moved to los angeles in the early 60s Oh, and again, but there's probably a few lakes in Los Angeles, right? Right, but like it makes Silver way more sense. It makes Silver way more Lake. sense that they were the Minneapolis Lakers. We have ten thousand. Oh, of course. You yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Well, but, but like, but yeah, like now people don't even think about it, you know? Because like, yeah, they've yeah, because it's established for so long. That's just what they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Piggy is not amused by. She's not nearly as amused as we are, anyway, by all of this. She says, "Cancel the show." She. Got, gives one of her trademark uh, karate chops, and uh, Kermit goes flying across the room. Uh, he it, Then it cuts to a different shot where he goes flying into a chair. 
You know what would have been really funny? If Scooter had run out and stopped Miss Piggy from karate chopping Kermit. <laughs> <laughs> Scooter filling in. Yeah, Scooter just like slides in and blocks the chop so he can star. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been good. It would have been it would have been very funny. It would have it would have been very strange. It would have changed the ending of this movie significantly. Yeah. Yeah. Um I watched this clip in slow motion because for a second I thought, like, ooh, did they did they like do this backwards? Did they have him on the chair upside down and then like yank him with the fishing line to make him look like he was landing perfectly upside down? But then I, I watched it a few times and I it goes so fast that I don't think you can actually really tell. So I guess it doesn't really matter. I don't know if, if I was the only one who paid attention to that shot. Yeah, I didn't notice. Apparently I was. Okay. Uh, so, but but now he's he's been knocked, uh, you know, given a good whack. He's upside down in the chair. He looks at his friends and he recognizes them. Kermit says, Piggy, Fozzie, where am I anyway? And everyone's very excited that he's back. Of course, if his friends had only watched more TV, they would have known that when a person gets amnesia from trauma to the head, the way that you cure him is just to recreate the trauma. Right. Um, I I feel like... Violent force solves all problems. Yeah, I I feel like (laughs) we think of this as a sitcom trope. The only specific example I could find where I could confirm that it was an injury to the head both times is an episode of I Dream of Jeannie, where Major Nelson gets hit on the head with a vase, and he gets amnesia, and he doesn't recognize Jeannie, and then he's about to marry her, and then another vase falls on his head, and he gets his memory back. Um, There are a few others listed on the the TV Tropes website, but I don't know for sure if all of them are the the getting hit on the head thing. No, that happened... Well, it definitely happened on Gilligan's Island, where... Gilligan accidentally gets the skipper on top of the head with a pole that he like Gilligan knocks the pole loose, hits the skipper on top of the head. Yeah. I saw that one listed. Yeah. And then how does the skipper get his memory back? Oh, Oh, does he get his, is that the thing? It's yeah. I I don't know. That's what I, I wanted to make sure that whatever, whatever examples I was citing, that it was a similar, like for them to get hit on the head again, to cure the amnesia. Yeah. Um, let's see. Cause yeah, you're, you're right. I do only remember the first one. Yep. Yep. As they start arguing, the skipper enters the cave to stop the argument, getting knocked on the head by Gilligan with a rock. So yeah, he does. Okay. He gets hit on the head with a different blood nice. object. Because that's that's okay. the one I thought you were going to say when you said you could only find one. Yeah. No, I, I saw that one listed, and then there was um, there was an episode of Perfect Strangers listed, but I think that one uh, Larry gets hit on the head and loses his memory, but then Balky actually successfully manages to sort of organically get Larry to remember <laughs> everything. So, um, yeah, maybe not quite as commonplace as we thought, but still it would have been worth a try in this case. They should have just tried they hitting just Kermit on the head. right away. <laughs> yeah, that should have been the first thing they tried. Mm-hmm. Um, they should have had Beauregard, who, as we said in one of the earlier drafts, was driving a taxi. They should have had Beauregard just hit Kermit with a car. Oh, yeah, that would have been fun to see. Uh, Kermit asks what's going on Ronnie says you're going on it's Broadway you made it this must be extremely disorienting for Kermit who had like he doesn't even know where he is and now he's expected to go on Broadway and extra disorienting if he doesn't know who Ronnie is (laughs) right 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 because for all we know he has no idea 
Right? Also, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I really went back and rewound the section because it, it looks like the It's Broadway You Made It was very clearly ADR'd. To the oh. point that I almost was like, was there a different line? And then, I, and then I like zoomed in. I was like, no, it's it, it's the same line. He just must not have been suitably enthusiastic enough oh, okay. for, for Frank Oz. <laughs> right, right. Maybe it was a more realistic line reading. It's Broadway. You made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Broadway. You made it. Yeah, it's just like Lonnie Price at his like most depressed. Uh, yeah, it's Broadway. So is this the part yet, uh, Christy, that you referred to as as reminding you of a horror movie, or have we not gotten to that just yet? <laughs> I mean, this whole clip is a horror movie to me. I mean, partially because this is the the Muppet movie that I've seen the most, and is the most like etched on my memory. And I just mm. like have this like like visceral memory of like feeling every moment of this so deeply, like Piggy's indignation and everyone's fear. Like that's one of the most amazing things about this section to me is like the, you, you know, they say acting is reacting and like you get that off of every single one of the Muppets in this shot down to Camilla. Like Camilla looks terrified, (laughs) you know? And, uh, but yeah, but the, you know, as as a, a musical theater writer who very much understands the, the show is not ready. What does it need? I need time to work on it. Uh, <laughs> having been in those shoes, like the idea of getting bonked on the head and then waking up upside down in a chair and Lonnie Price <laughs> standing over me and saying, it's Broadway, you made it, <laughs> fills me with the kind of dread <laughs> that very few things do. Yeah, and you know, I to the point that I I once uh, got on an uptown two train at Times Square at a very, at rush hour. It is very crowded, and I found myself wedged into the armpit of Lonnie Price, who was also standing on this train. Whoa. And I had this moment of, oh my god, it's Lonnie Price, and then, oh my god, it's Broadway. You made it. Like, <laughs> like there's. there's a, there's always a split second trigger there, and I'm a I'm a huge Lonnie Price fan. Like Merrily When We Roll Along is one of my favorite shows of all time, but I still had that moment of it's Broadway, you made it. Ah! So, <laughs> yeah, it's I, I I feel it so deeply. But but yeah, like speaking again to the 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 reactive and expressiveness of of the Muppets, it reminded me of there was a time I. When I was in elementary school, uh, I, I went to this like daycare prior to school. Like when my mom was working and we got dropped off and we went to daycare for a couple hours and went to school. And I remember they would put on Barney for the little kids. And like I was at mm. the age where I was like, Barney is the worst. This is just like, ugh. And, and that was also <laughs> like my, my, my Muppet nerd like <laughs> coming out of like, ugh, this is just, you know. Oh, I had the same thing when my, when my sister discovered Barney and I like she was still watching Sesame Street, but I was like, "Why are you watching this trash when Sesame Street is right there? Just watch Sesame Street. Like, yeah, that's all you need." Same with exactly. My yeah. And the thing that I always remember is that there was this episode where one of the human kids had an ice cream. Well, it was it was an episode where like things kept going wrong for this one particular kid, and like the uh, straw that breaks the camel's back for her in her terrible day is she has an ice cream cone and the scoop falls off, and. And they cut to Barney, and Barney goes, 
Oh, but like Barney has that like rictus grin. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it was so upsetting. And the thing is, <laughs> is, you know, I mean, some of the Muppets have eyes that do not move. You know, yeah. Ralph has stationary eyes. You know, Scooter's eyes are glasses. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, you feel like these are living, breathing characters who are going through something. And it's just, it's remarkable to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, Ralph is a great example because that puppet does not move much at all. Like the, his yeah. face is not, you know, right. Kermit's ma- face is I, extremely I expressive. I don't think Ralph's mouth really can can move much. You know, can no. I think it's pretty much it. just like open or closed. But then, yeah. yeah, it's just like a tilt of the head or just the yeah. They just right. do all these millions of little things that make us believe right. that they're well, alive and, those- and feeling emotions. And th- those ears, I feel like, do a lot of the work. Those like, those like floppy yeah. ears just j- just give him that that rambling, laid back quality, you know. Yeah, and especially yeah. when because he he sings a lot of songs, the ears help to kind of you know they bounce around and bounce flop around. around, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes uh, what- they get stuck on his head. I always like when that happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a cool guy. That happens to real dogs too. Yeah, like, you know, that's exactly. A very, that's true. Uh, organic thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Ralph is just like a real dog. Um, yeah, th- that's all. Yeah, very true. Great points. Yeah, it's, it's a frightening on both ends of this because first it's all these strangers like staring at him, expecting him to remember something that he can't remember. And then he gets his memory back and suddenly it's like, what is happening? And now he's expected to, <laughs> to go on Broadway. Everything uh, happens at once. It's like, yeah, you know, like being, being hit by a, a car all over again. Exactly. In, you know, a metaphorical way. Yes. Right. <laughs> uh, Kermit says the script isn't ready. There's still something missing. Um, and yeah, also it occurred, occurred to me, he hasn't had time to get any medical attention. Like when this happens, when he gets his memory back, they should probably call a doctor and just to, you know, do some kind of test. I don't know. Make sure everything's okay, but <laughs> there's no time for that. Um, Ronnie and Jenny run off. They say they're going to tell everybody Kermit's okay. I'm not sure exactly who they're going to tell. I guess Pete. I don't know. The stage manager? Yeah, I guess. There's probably a very irate stage manager standing outside of this room with the whole cast. Just looking at his watch. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I I called places 15 minutes ago, you guys. Just let Scooter go on. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's my job. Yeah, really. Um... (laughs) So, yeah, and that's pretty much the end of this clip. Um, my only other note is that in that uh, March 7th, 1983 draft of the screenplay, when Kermit gets his memory back, Gonzo says, this is terrific. The Return of the Frog. It's a sequel. And I think it's uh, okay that they cut that. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. really add anything. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, any final thoughts on this clip, Christy, starting with you? Sure. Yeah. I, you know, over on Muppeturgy, as we've gotten deeper into the first season of the Muppet show, you know, I, one of the questions that I keep asking is what does Kermit want? Hmm. You know, on the Muppet show, it's like, at some point it's like just to keep the show afloat, you know, does he want to be a star? Does he want to be loved? Does he want to run off into the sunset with Florence Henderson? Like, (laughs) Who doesn't? (laughs) Right. And, and so, you know, the, the me of now, as opposed to child me for whom the Muppets take Manhattan has always existed, you know, looks at this Kermit, you know, in the, you know, 
context of other Kermits and other iterations. And it just seems like to me like Kermit is a highly suggestible, generalized dreamer, like in every iteration. Like, sure. I, you think even the earlier incarnations of Kermit, where he's a little snarkier and a little, a little more sarcastic. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, he he softens over. He still wants to sure. be in show business and yeah, all that. Yeah, but I, I I never have a handle on what exactly it is that he wants, other than you know singing and dancing and making people happy. Right. But. You know, and so it, it's only really when like somebody says, "Oh, hey, what you should do with that is X." You know, when a, you know Bernie the agent shows up in the swamp, or <laughs> you know, you know somebody in the audience of your you know senior showcase says, "You should go to Broadway." Like, right, some dude. I love that. <laughs> huh? Like, yeah. Just like you know, and like I imagine, like what's the name of the school? Danforth. Danhurst. Uh, Danhurst. Danhurst. Yeah. yeah. Like I imagine that Kermit like was like. I, you know, I'm going to get a good liberal arts education. And he, like, goes off to Danhurst and, like, spent a couple years undeclared and, you know, ended up with, like, a degree in something broad, like English or communications. Sure. And started writing a show just for fun because he liked hanging out with his buddies and he liked singing and dancing and making people happy. And then suddenly one person says, this should be on Broadway. And it's his life path. <laughs> As somebody who, whose life path it is and life path it has been since the age of 12, like... Like, okay, so, like, a good analog. So, like, Lin-Manuel Miranda started writing in the Heights as an undergrad at Wesleyan. But, like, he always wanted to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Like, this business is brutal to the point of parody. And I think that the movie actually gets that part right. Huh. <laughs> you know, like, some, you know, 21-year-old kid or however old Kermit's supposed to be at this point who was told once that he was good is going to be chewed up and spit out by New York. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, like Kermit should have heard that and gone, oh, I'm I'm good at writing these. I should keep doing that and really build something. And, you know, because he's broke, he could, like, could do the BMI workshop, which is free, and mm. hone his craft and then over time start to make a name for himself. But, you know, uh, but, you know, that being said, in my experience, success in the business of writing musicals comes when you keep doing what you want to do, not what you think other people want you to do. You make friends along the way who want to work with you. And then you're lucky. And honestly, it occurred to me, all of those things are true for Kermit. So what the heck do I know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this is a very specific version of Kermit. Yeah, um, yeah. But that is very interesting, the thing about other people telling him that this is what he should be doing. Because I'm thinking like that that goes at least as far as the 2011 movie where he's sort of content to be retired. And then Walter and Jason Siegel show up and say, Oh, Kermit, you have to put on shows. And then he's like, Oh yeah. Okay. I guess this is what I should be doing. Yeah. So yeah, he just, he, he can't get away from that. Yeah. But yeah, very interesting. Um, Anthony, any final thoughts on this clip? I don't know how I could possibly top that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, I was also going to say something that I didn't get the chance to say that I just would love to say on the record is that Fozzie without a hat will never not be upsetting to me. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I actually just, just wrote an article about that. I just wrote <laughs> an article that I deliberately sat down and was like, okay, let me spend like 45 minutes or less writing an, a, like a really stupid article on it Top is, Pigs. It, it is, if I can be candid, the stupidest <laughs> article we've ever published on Top Pigs. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great, I succeeded beyond my wild, my wildest dreams. Then, really, yeah, it's really just about did. Fozzie's hat and about like what 
his hat his head looks like without his hat and about the fact that sometimes he wears other things on his head but um yes this is a great example of when you really realize that Fozzie's head is a weird shape without his hat Oof. on it so weird. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so yeah, with that then, um, oh, the next thing, um, Christy, we like to ask our guests, uh, do you recall the first time you saw this movie? What is your history with it? And how would you rank it alongside the other Muppet movies? Wow. Okay. Uh, big questions. So, uh, this movie, I I do not remember the first time I saw it. Um, I remember my uncle taped the first three movies off of HBO or something uh, mm-hmm. in the mid-80s. Um, I think this one was on I, TV a lot. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those things where I think they had some sort of marathon or something, mm-hmm. and so he managed to get all of them on one tape. And this was the first one on the tape. So part of me wonders if maybe just by sheer luck that because it was the first one that, that it just became the one that imprinted on me the most. Oh yeah. Um, because Muppet movie was second and then caper was third. I remember. And of the three capers, the one that I have seen the least though, I, I've huh. seen them all m- many times. Um, but yeah, I mean, I <laughs> think of this movie as being as formative as any piece of pop culture that I have experienced because I, I write musicals. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. I, you know, some something in there planted a seed in me that, you know, later thought, oh, the, the, this is a, a path that I want to follow. I, I want to move to New York and I want to, you know, do this same thing and, and, and try for this. And, right. um, uh, so yeah, so I, I'm, I'm in the camp of, I intellectually understand and, concede that the Muppet movie is like objectively the best of the three movies, <laughs> but the Muppets take Manhattan is my favorite. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Like that's a good answer. It, it's just, I mean, it's, it's up there in, you know, top three favorite movies of all time of any movies for me. Oh, wow. so, uh, awesome. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine how many, like how many people had, their their lives or the path of their lives changed by seeing this movie when they were kids and deciding like oh I want to do something like that yeah and they're also you know as I got a little bit older you know it, it's funny talking about the like the 1984 Tonys um, because my probably my favorite musical of all time is Sunday in the Park with George and I was born in 1984 so there's this sort of like weird mystical thing for me mm. of, you know the pop culture of 1984 you know yeah. Um, a critical part of who I am. Sure. So. That was that, so. I was born in 1984, also, and that was true for me. Except it was like Ghostbusters and Spinal Tap. Yeah. Oh, that <laughs> you know those too, for sure. Yeah. 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 It, it's almost like actually, this was the the premise of a a Tough Pigs piece that our friend Danny Horn did many years ago of like being born under the sign of a certain piece of pop culture. So, yeah. like, you were born under the sign of Ghostbusters or the Muppets Take Manhattan, or I was born under the sign of the Great Muppet Caper. So, yeah, right. so it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with that, then, we can begin to wrap things up for this week. 
Everyone, please make sure you check out toughpigs.com on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, and all those places. Our logo is by Morgan Davey. Our theme music is by Stacy Rosen. Uh, if you have any thoughts on this clip or uh, any future clips, although we're starting to run out of minutes, uh, please send us an email at movingrightalong at toughpigs.com. You can find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe. Uh, Anthony is on Letterboxd at Zeppo Marxist. You can find me on Letterboxd at Movies Are Neat. Uh, Christy, where can people find you and your work on the internet? And or is there anything you would like to plug? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I, uh, my, my work, uh, generally speaking, can be found at uh, ChristyBauer.com. Uh, I am on Twitter once in a blue moon and Instagram quite frequently at Timid Frida, T-I-M-I-D-F-R-I-E-D-A. And please check out Muppeturgy. We are Muppeturgy on all of the socials and Muppeturgy.com. Yes, definitely check that out. I will link to that in the show notes. Should we mention the episodes that we guest starred on? I don't know. Is that Oh, is sure. Because Ryan, you're in the Harvey Corner. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes. yes and I you're know. in the Avery Schreiber episode. That's right. So, so if you, yeah. if you want to hear the two of us on, on that, again, far superiorly produced program, uh, <laughs> you can you can check out those two. And many <laughs> you guys will probably be just about done with season one when this comes out, I think. I would think by the time this gets posted, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. And then wow. you, will, and then you can bid adieu to the Cleveland Muppets for the most part. <laughs> you're going to uh, miss them, yeah. Pour one out for Mildred. Yeah, my girl yeah. Mildred. I'm going to miss all of them. Yeah, there's going to be less Aldrich. droop she's, as the series goes girl. on, sadly. I, yeah, I'm inclined sure. to agree. There's a lesser show for it. Uh, and listeners, if you don't mind, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you can give us a positive review and tell your friends about the show. And join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Soon.